Welcome, everyone. You are about to hear the sermon that was preached last night at Victory Baptist Church during the evening worship service. Now, the reason I'm recording this introduction is because, well, I'm going to apologize to you for what you are about to hear. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not a very good sermon. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And then things that you wouldn't even think could go wrong, they went wrong as well. Let me try to explain. This is one of those situations where I would rather just delete the sermon and forget it, but it's it's critical to what we're trying to do in the book of Romans. And so I don't really get a do-over. I mean, I guess I could show back up next Sunday and just preach the same sermon, but in a better way. Maybe maybe the members of Victory Baptist Church, they wouldn't even notice. I mean, there is a joke that most church members don't remember from one week to next week what was preached. So maybe I could just preach the exact same sermon and they would all go like, whoa, that was great. That was awesome. I mean, like, yeah, it was the sermon I tried to preach Sunday, last Sunday, but it was horrible. So, so... I, w- I don't get a do-over, so either I delete it, and then that kind of destroys, you know, this is an important message at the beginning of what we're trying to do, so I feel like I have to post it, but I feel like I need to say I'm sorry. Let me explain what happened. As soon as I start preaching, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this in my voice, I, I start preaching, and I have, I have two sets of notes. I have one in a notebook and one on an iPad. I'm, I I start and immediately as I start, I'm looking at my iPad and I realize, wait a minute, I'm missing some notes. And so this is what I'm thinking. I'm missing some notes, but I'm trying to preach while I'm sitting there going, I wonder, what did I do with the other notes? What did I do with the other notes? I have to have those other notes, but I'm, I'm sitting there just trying to go off the iPad notes, which aren't the actual sermon notes. These are like, you know, additional information, information about Greek words, that kind of thing. They don't really have the actual outline or anything there on the iPad. So I I, kind of start and I'm kind of stumbling around. And at some point you will hear me during the sermon go, okay, where I can't find my notes. Where, where's my notebook? And I almost asked one of the, uh, one of the young people in the church to go out to my car and try to find it while I'm preaching because I'm like, I'm, I'm in trouble here, right? So, um, I do find the notebook, but at that point, everything's already so mumbled that it really, it, 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 it all falls apart. I just wanted to stop and just go home. Then during the sermon, we have a power outage. Yes, the power goes off in the middle of the sermon. So then I think the recording is ruined. And there was a part of me that wanted to go, yes, you know, it's over. (laughs) The sermon is dead. But the the sound person told me, no, that uh, it was still recording. So you'll hear some click. It goes off. It kind of comes back on because the power goes out. Uh, So it's just, I could go on and on and on. There was just, there was a storm outside. Uh, It was just so much uh, was happening and it was just, it just did not come across right. So I apologize for what you are about to hear, but this really start, I mean, this is the, this is, we we introduced Romans chapter one verses 18 and following uh, Sunday morning. I posted that sermon and this was supposed to be the second sermon where we started really digging into verse 18, kind of, you know, uh, you know, exegeting verse 18. I think that it establishes some good information about verse 18. It just needed to be organized better. And it would have been organized better if I wouldn't have been like sitting there. If I would have just stopped the sermon and said, wait a minute, I got to find my notes and we'll start over. But, um, you know, once you start, you're kind of committed and then, well, there you go. So I apologize uh, to, I apologize to you. Um, I hope you find something in it that's beneficial. 
Um, maybe somehow, maybe the content will be um, good enough that it will override the delivery. The delivery wasn't, um, my, I wasn't happy with it, but I have no choice. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to delay this. I'm not going to delay your suffering any longer. Okay. If you still want to listen, please continue. Have your Bible open to Romans chapter one, verse 18. This really starts establishing how we're going to look at the continuing, the, the following passage, and hopefully um, you will benefit from it. If you do not, I apologize. If you have any questions about how we took apart Romans chapter 1, verse 18, you can email me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Let's go now to the sanctuary. Last night at Victory Baptist Church, there was a thunderstorm outside. I was confused on the inside. And uh, well, we made it through it, and hopefully, you will benefit from it. So, here is the sermon last night that was preached at Victory Baptist Church. On Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I think we're calling this series Romans chapter 1 and Homosexuality. It's a part of our in-depth study of the entire book of Romans, which will take like 10 years. Uh, but we're focusing on this subject of homosexuality because it's so relevant right now in the culture. If you heard the introductory sermon, you know why. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Bible's open. I hope you will benefit from it. Uh, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that you will extend to me in hearing this sermon. And if you have anything negative to say, just just save your time because I already know that it stinks. All right. But here we go. God bless. And the great thing is God's word still is true. It is still living and active and powerful. It is still um, profitable for all kinds of different things, no matter how bad the preacher preaches it. God's word is still powerful, no matter how uh, how poorly the pastor presents that word. And that's one of the great things is I cannot destroy the power, the effectiveness of God's word, even when I preach poorly. That's no excuse for preaching poorly, but um, sometimes it happens. All right, here is the sermon. May God bless you. All right, Bible's open, Book of Romans. Book of Romans. All right, this morning we uh, we spent the whole morning worship hour focusing on the kind of introducing what we're going to be doing. We're in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to the end of the chapter. The reason we have skipped from Romans chapter 1 verse 2 down to verse 18 is, well, all the news articles that we looked at this morning showing how controversial this section is, showing that when people get to Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and following, they tend to, it almost feels like, and, I, and again, I say feels, like they're, they're trying to get to the passage about homosexuality, and that becomes the focal point. Even if the pastor doesn't intend that, it becomes the focal point of the congregation, right? Because you're dealing with homosexuality, everyone has an opinion, everyone has a thought, and I think sometimes that that's the only thing anyone takes away from the passage, is, hey, homosexuality is condemned in Romans chapter 1, 18 and following, there, I can prove to people that homosexuality is a sin, and they ignore everything else in the text. So what we're trying to do, and let me emphasize this, we're trying to figure out how to read this section correctly, that we can avoid the extremes. Because we have one pastor who preached Romans chapter 1, 18 and following, come to the conclusion that homosexuals should be rounded up by the government and executed. 
We have another pastor who goes to a different uh, conclusion saying, hey, uh, homosexuality is just like every other sin, and we should possibly, you know, stand up for LGBTQ rights, okay? Both pastors using the same text of Scripture coming to drastically different conclusions. On the way here, I was listening to Stand to Reason, and they did an entire hour on how not to read the Bible, um, which is great that it was an American Family Radio. Um, I mean, I wish the people who run American Family Radio would listen to it, but uh, I, I actually uh, uploaded and placed that audio in the hermeneutics section Saturday, so it was already there before it aired today. So I would really challenge everyone to go to the hermeneutics section and listen how not to read the Bible, because I think you'll find it. Also, I placed a message in the hermeneutics section on civil, ceremonial, and moral law, which is very relevant to this entire discussion as well. All of those are in the hermeneutics section of the app, so I would definitely challenge you to listen to those. So we're going to try to figure out what this text has to say, and we're going to try our best to... Well, try, we're just gonna we're gonna work our way through it. Our goal is not to rush to the verses about homosexuality. Our goal is to work there carefully, systematically, and then once we get past the verses dealing with homosexuality, to continue with the same dedication past, and then when we're done with the whole section, try to see what we can take from it. All right, does that make sense? All right, let's begin with Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I will read it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I'll stop right there. If you have been reading, which I kept challenging people to do over and over and over again, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 17, you'll notice that this is a dramatic change in tone. Even if you go back to 16, the emphasis is on what in 16? The power of the gospel. Is that not emphasized in verse 16? Right? Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Therein, revealed where? And the gospel, well, everyone is saying that. Did everybody work on that? Okay, okay, good. Hopefully everybody is right on that. But in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we have, we have a, an emphasis on the gospel. Obviously, verse, the end of verse 1, the gospel is mentioned, right? Verse 2 speaks of the promise of the gospel, right? Everybody see that? So this idea of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, of salvation... Um, that comes up, I would say, a, a number of times. In fact, verse 9, the gospel uh, shows up again. The, the idea of the gospel shows up a lot in verses 1 to verse 17. A dramatic shift in tone occurs in 18. All right? And I think it would be safe to say that when we start taking verse 18 apart, we, we, we can uh, make this, I think, a, we can be dogmatic about this. Verse 18 is going to tell us some things about God's wrath. So we're going to focus on the subject of God's wrath. And just, just to say the wrath of God seems outdated in 2019. All right? I think the concept of God's wrath, we know, we know it somehow, you know, it exists in the Bible, but how, does it, what, how do we understand it? Do we understand it is obviously uh, critical to this entire section. So let's begin right there with the word 
wrath. For the wrath of God, we need to understand this word wrath. I did, um, I, get, I, I don't know how long it was, um, this week, a, a recording called Why I Hate Bible Commentaries. And I did that recording based off this word wrath, right? And I have the commentary here in my hands that sparked that entire recording because of how MacArthur decides to handle the word wrath. And MacArthur knows more Greek than I will ever know Uh, but I still don't know why he decided to handle the word this way. So we're going to try to understand what this word wrath means because I think this verse is going to tell us a number of things about wrath. All right? Does that make sense? So let's work on it. The word wrath itself. I'm going to read from the MacArthur commentary on page uh, 60. Those who listened to the recording, you heard me read this. I'll read it again. He says, Wrath, he has the Greek word there that the transliteration would be spelled O-R, um, O-R-G-E. All right. Or that's how he has it, O-R-G-E. All right. Um, Arge is how it's pronounced. Arge, O-R-G-E is how it has it out. The Blue Letter Bible has the transliteration as A-R-G-E. All right. MacArthur has it written out as O-R-G-E. But that's the word that he wants us to understand. Now listen to how he describes it. Arge refers to a settled, determined indignation, not to the momentary, emotional, and often uncontrolled anger, thumos, he uses a different Greek word there, to which human beings are prone. God's attributes are balanced in divine perfection. All right, stop right there. So he is implying that the word arge here refers to a settled, determined indignation, not to the momentary, emotional, and often uncontrolled anger. And he says that refers to a different Greek word, which is thumos. That's how he describes it. Now, of course, when I read a commentary, what do I do? I set the commentary down. And I'm like, well, 2019, we can all look up the Greek word, right? Now, I, I want to acknowledge his superiority in the Greek language over me. I'm not going to make that argument. But still, come on. I mean, his implication there is that's the meaning of the Greek word, right? And how did he describe it again? A settled determined indignation, not to the momentary, emotional, and often uncontrolled anger, thumos, to which human beings are prone. Right? So he's almost saying that the word wrath here refers to God's wrath, but is that what the word wrath is referring to? Right? He's, he's almost interpreting what it means by wrath of God. He's not interpreting what the word means. All right? Now, let's go through this. The word arge. Uh, they, they have here is noun. It gives us some uh, idea where it comes from. Um, they give some different unique forms and how it's used. Um, they give it uh, a lot of different things they have going on here. I'm not going to read through everything. All right. Um, it is used um, 36 times in the King James. The King James translates it in the following manner. Wrath, anger, vengeance, indignation how they outline the biblical usage. Anger, the natural disposition, temper, character, movement or agitation of the soul, 
impulse, desire, any violent emotion, but especially anger. Everybody hear that? Well, how do they describe the word? Any violent emotion, but especially anger. Anger, wrath, indignation, anger exhibited in punishment, hence used for punishment itself of punishments inflicted by mag- magistrates. All right, now stop right there. Now, just reading that outline of biblical usage calls into question the way MacArthur defined it. Because MacArthur defined it as something that is controlled. Now, I understand he's trying to tell me that what the wrath of God is, but he, what he did is he gives me, here's the Greek word orge, right? Wrath, and then here's what it means. That's not an accurate description in any way, shape, or form. So what do we mean by wrath? We're going to have to figure that out. If you want to continue studying the word wrath, and I'm not going to go through all of this, if you go through the way it's used in the King James, right? I've got all the places listed where it's used. Let me just give you an example. I'll skip down. Um, It's used in Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Now that's clearly using it in what way? A sinful way. The word wrath doesn't always refer to some controlled expression of anger. No, it can be used in a sinful way. The word arge can be used in a sinful way. Now, we're not saying that God's wrath is sinful. I'm just saying that whenever... The reason I want to emphasize this is when you start working on a section that is as controversial as this, and the very... For the wrath... What are the very first words? And then you have a commentary that gives you a false impression of what that word means. You're in trouble. Now, what he should have said is, here, he shouldn't even have worried about the Greek word, right? He should have just said, here's how we understand God's wrath. Why even give me the Greek? He wants to compare arge. What he seems to be implying is arge only refers to the wrath of God. Thumos refers to the wrath or anger of man. That is not true, because I just showed you in Ephesians that it's used to describe what? The kind of anger and wrath that what we should put away from ourselves, meaning that we can have the same kind of wrath, but in a sinful way. Does everybody understand that? Please get that. Like, I, I just want to emphasize this from the start, because it demonstrates how we're going to have to study this text, all right? So that's not the, that, that is definitely not the correct way. That is definitely not the correct way, all right? So let's, let me grab my, where did I put it? I have a notebook somewhere. Where did I put my notebook? All right. Hey, Joel, can you come here for a second? Oh, they found it. Thank you. Never mind. I was going to send Joel to the car. All right. I was like, go get my notebook. I'm in trouble if I don't have these notes. All right, here we go. So the first thing, I wanted to just take a few seconds just to establish that the word wrath there has a broad range of meaning. It can refer to God's wrath. What else can it refer to? The wrath of, that we could use in an ungodly way. I just want to make sure we get that understood and figured out. So let's do this. Everybody ready? We're going to look at a number of things about wrath that Romans 1.18 teaches us. 
right? Because it's just not giving us a lesson about wrath in general. It's giving us a lesson about what? God's wrath, all right? So the first thing, I, so I just wanted to get that, that little thing out of the way because it irritated me so much this week that this commentary completely misleads people because some person who doesn't understand how to check something is going to think, oh, Arge refers to God's wrath. Thumos refers to man's wrath. And that's completely not accurate. I don't know why he, he, he described it that way. It's, it's horrible. It's wrong. It's wrong, 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 wrong. Okay, here we go. You ready? Let's learn some lessons about God's wrath. Number, number one, Romans chapter one, verse 18, refers to the wrath of God, teaching us that it is of God. It is of God. Now, why is this critical? It demonstrates that God, the God of Christianity, the God of the New Testament, is a God of wrath. Because there's always this mindset that the New Testament emphasizes what? The love of God, and the Old Testament emphasized the wrath of God, but Romans 1.18 is telling us that the New Testament God, because they're the same, still is a God of wrath. I want to make that very clear that this describes us. Now, we could go through a number of verses about God's wrath. All right? And I, 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 I pulled up all the verses. We're going to do that to get the idea. I just want us to get a, an understanding that when it refers to the wrath of God, the word itself simply refers... How would we describe that, okay, God is a God of wrath. It's of God. When we say that God is a God of wrath, what do we mean? What, would we, what do we mean when we say God is a God of wrath? Okay. All right. Well, we, I gave you the meaning of the word wrath, right? So what does it mean? He gets angry, right? Right? He gets angry. He gets mad. He gets upset. Now, because it's of God, then it's a different kind of anger than from us because he is holy, so it's a holy wrath. Right? It's justifiable wrath, but it's still wrath. I cannot stress that enough. And, and this is very important because, because um, when we start talking about this wrath and that it's of God, we have to make sure we understand that this entire section is predicated on the fact that God is a God of wrath. Now, some people will take, he's a God of God of wrath, and immediately want to go do what? Homosexuals. But this starts that he's a God of wrath, and that is true in his dealings with what? Sin. With everyone. All, well, yeah, we'll get there in a second, okay? So, I just want to make sure we have this down. So, starting off from a cultural perspective, this is already a very countercultural message, but I will say, because, see, a lot of pastors, when they get to these verses, they want to go after the world. And, you know, I always want to start with us. Do we, and this is, this is a very practical question as we even start this, do you truly understand that God is a God of wrath? Do you truly understand that and have some concern or fear about it? Because we've almost, we've, you know, we've almost kind of, um, 
removed all the negative attributes of God that we do not like to create a God that is loving, compassionate, patient, and never gets upset. But that's not the Bible. And this is reminding us of this fact. All right. Wrath, it is of God. The wrath spoken of in Romans 1.18, it is of God. It's the wrath of God. All right. The second thing I want us to take from this text. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. What's the second thing we learn about this wrath? It is of God. What's the second thing? It is revealed. It is revealed. All right. Now, this is going to be a little... Now, we're gonna, I don't know if we're going to get past this tonight, all right? Because you're going to think, oh, it's just revealed. Let's just move on. <laughs> you think that, that, that it's revealed? Is that simple? You really do? Okay. No. All right. What was the obvious question any good Bible student should have at this point? When we've, so we got the idea. We understand the word wrath. We understand that the wrath that we're speaking of is of God, right? We understand that that implies some kind of anger, but it's a godly anger. And then the next thing we learn is that his wrath is revealed. All right. What's the obvious question every good Bible student or anyone who reads well, what should be the question that they should ask? Okay. I I think I got two of the same and one different one. Okay. Two people said, how? Where is it revealed? How is it revealed? Because if you tell me something is revealed... Where? So we've got to figure out how this is revealed. What's the uh, Greek word there for uh, revealed? Apocalypto, right? Does that, does that sound familiar? Yeah, apocalypto. What does the word, Greek word mean? To uncover? To reveal? Okay, apocalyptic, right? Apocalyptic, we get the idea that from that. Apocalypto, right? Everybody get it's to reveal something. It's to, to unveil something, right? So God's wrath is unveiled, it is uncovered, it is revealed, it is shown, and we need to figure out how is it revealed, how is it shown. So if you were to give me the different ways God's uh, wrath is revealed, how many different way, uh, how many different things could you give me? Or different ways? Now, come on, y'all have read Romans 1, 18, 9 million times. You had to ask yourself this question. Okay. So give me how many? <laughs> oh, I guess we didn't open the back door. Okay, uh-oh, uh-oh. That's his job. Uh, yeah, it's your job. <laughs> we need you to open the back door now. Okay, all right. For those, for those, listening, uh, for those listening online, Judy, your husband, just got here. Okay. Right. <laughs> and he didn't open the back door. All right. How many different ways? Tell me. What do you got? Come on. You've got, you got to have an answer, right? I mean, you've read Romans 1.18. It says it's revealed. Did you just not bother to ask yourself the question or answer it? Okay. Bobby's given us at least one. All right. Good. That's one way. We don't know if it's the correct way, but he said it. It's at least, it's at least a, a suggestion. Anybody got a different way? 
All right, I'm just going to give up and we'll just proceed. All right, let's start with the first way that it is revealed. God's wrath is revealed in his, and Bobby, he gave a good church answer, but it's right. It's revealed in his word. It's revealed in his word. I mean, how many, look up the word wrath, someone in an electronic concordance, and tell me how many times it's used in the Bible. Now, not every one of those times is going to be with reference to God's wrath, but 36. Okay. Is that the whole Bible? I think, uh, no. Right. Yeah. But, I, yeah, just the word wrath in the whole Bible. It's a, how many? 197. So the word wrath is used 197 times. Now, not every one of those times refers to God's wrath, obviously. I wonder why, because the same word can be used for both. Okay. But to get the idea, uh, it's used a lot. Now, if we went through 197 times, separated all the ones that reference God's wrath, right? Okay, and I don't know how many we would come up with. I mean, you want to, that could be your assignment, figure that out. But you're going to read a lot about the wrath of God. And you're going to realize that God gets upset about sin. It is revealed in his word, and it's shocking that people who teach his word, preach his word, read his word, somehow miss all the revelation of his wrath. It's used over and over. I just wrote down a couple of examples. Go to Psalm chapter 2. I didn't know which ones to choose. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Now you're seeing the contrast here, right? You got the people of the world, right? The kings of the earth. They, they, they come together and like, you know what? We're done with God. We're done. We're finished with God. And it's like there's going to be a rebellion. And what, how does God respond? He laughs. He has them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Please note that wrath is directed, in this case, the kings of the earth. It is not directed at homosexuals. In fact, if you go through every time God demonstrates his wrath, count how many times it's directed towards homosexuals and count how many times it's directed at other sins. Would you agree that the Bible will reveal it being revealed against other sins far more than it's being revealed against homosexuality? The answer has to be a dogmatic yes. Right? And there's, see, there's, that, that's why part of me wants to go through, because there's going to be someone uh, listening online is going to go, but he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah! He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah! He destroyed... Well, he destroyed the entire earth. And he destroyed the entire earth. It did not specify for homosexuality, did it? Right? Did, he, did he ever destroy other things? Was it always for homosexuality? No. Just understand, God's wrath is revealed... Okay. I, I, oh, he, he did a lot of killing for idolatry, <laughs> did he not? Yes. Okay. okay. Is there anybody here guilty of idolatry? Okay. But 
We like the wrath when it's directed at that which doesn't impact us. All right, just keep keep that in mind. It is revealed in Scripture. Let's go to some more Psalm, um, I believe, 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Let's go down to verse 49. Well, I mean, there's a lot going on here, okay? <laughs> there's a lot going on in Psalm 78, okay? Uh we we could do a lot. Here, uh, we could do a lot of 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 talking about all the things that are happening here in Psalm uh, seventy eight. Um, but if you go to Psalm seventy eight and go down to verse forty nine, right? Um, he cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. I I would believe that that sounds like he's upset. Would you agree? He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength. All right, that's him pouring out wrath. That has nothing to do with homosexuality. Right? It has nothing to do with homosexuality. He is pouring out wrath. All right? The Bible constantly speaks of him doing that. Let's look at another passage just... I'm trying to choose which ones to look at because there's so many. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to get one New Testament one in. And I don't want to make this whole section about homosexuality, but just just as the starting point, so I'm going to make reference to it here or there just because that we're trying to resolve this issue. All right? All right, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Everybody there? Well, let's just go back and read this whole, uh, let's start in chapter 5, verse 1, for context, right? Be therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But, but fornication, all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints." Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Please note, homosexuality is not listed. Right? Agreed? Now, fornication may refer to all forms of sexual immorality, so you could possibly include it there, but it goes beyond homosexuality. Agreed? All right. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for for because of these things came the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. All right. The wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience, upon sin. All right. I cannot stress that enough. God's wrath is revealed in the pages of the Bible. All right? It is revealed in the pages of the Bible. Everybody agree there? Okay. There is no disagreement there. It's in the pa- we just looked at pages of the Bible that reveals God's wrath. It reveals his a- character, it reveals his attribute. All right, what's a second way God reveals his wrath? Obviously, in the pages of the Bible. Okay. 
Well, I'm going to mention this one. Now, we're not going to, we're not going to look up a lot of scriptures on this one, but it's pretty obvious. Um, he reveals his wrath at the cross. What's happening at the cross? Now, according to our understanding of what happened on the cross, it wasn't just the Jews and the Romans conspiring to kill some preacher they didn't like, even though from a human perspective that was what was happening. But according to Isaiah 53, what's happening? Right. God's wrath is being poured out upon his son who's hanging upon the cross. If the cross, I mean, because this is so weird to me. We look at the cross and we say, the greatest symbol of love, also the greatest symbol of wrath. Because in 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 a sense, God is murdering his son for you. Well, if God wasn't a God of wrath, he wouldn't have to murder his son for you because there wouldn't be any wrath. Because I, I cannot stress this enough. What does Jesus save us from? From God. Right? Because people like, he saves us from Satan. He saves us from sin. He saves us from God because who is upset with us? God. So it required the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, God himself, to take upon human flesh so that the wrath of God could be poured out upon his Son, so he could drink all of God's wrath for you. That's about the cup. Let this cup be removed. That cup is a symbol of God's wrath. Jesus was to drink the entire cup of God's wrath so that you do not have to. That, his, the wrath of God is revealed on what happened on that cross. There's God's wrath. Right? Amen? Right? And it wasn't just being poured out for the sin of Homosexuality. For sin itself. Agreed? I mean, obviously, sin offends God because God is a God of wrath and he gets angry. He gets upset at sin. It bothers him. We are not bothered by it. He is bothered by it. If we understood God's wrath towards it, we would probably have a different attitude toward it ourselves. All right. So it is revealed in his word. It's revealed in his cross. How else is it revealed? Anybody? Okay. Anybody have a different one? All right, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to read how MacArthur describes this one. Um, and we'll have to talk about it. Now, this one may, may cause us, we're going to think about this a little bit. But it's important to consider, right? So everybody understands it's revealed in his word, right? We read the Bible. What do we read about? God's wrath. Obviously, it's revealed on the cross because we know what's happening on the cross, right? I'm not going to go through all the scriptures to demonstrate it, but Isaiah 53 would be a good place to look at. God is pouring out his anger and his wrath upon his son, all right? That's the, the wrath is revealed there, all right? Now, this is very important. <clears throat> um, let me see here. Uh, God's wrath is revealed, he names two ways here, but here's the first one. It is revealed through his moral order. Through his moral order. Now we're going to write, the, you can put a question mark by this one, but we're going to have to think this through, all right? Here we go. When God made the world, 
He built in certain moral as well as physical laws that have since governed its operation. Just as a person falls to the ground when he jumps from a high building, so does he fall into God's judgment when he deviates from God's moral law. This is built in wrath. When a person sins, there is a built in consequence that inexplicably works, right? We may not really understand how it works, but it, it, it wor- begins to work. In this sense, God is not specifically intervening, but is letting the law of moral cause and effect work. This is referred to as the, uh, God's wrath being revealed in the moral order, in the moral order. Now, he doesn't go into any more details about it, right? Um, and it's hard to know exactly how this operates, right? But I will argue this, that and let's just take it for, like, I, I think this will make some sense. Now, this is not perfect, so what I'm going to explain here, you can always find exceptions. And he even acknowledges later on, he uses an illustration where there was a, a farmer, there was a, a church located out in the country, and there was a farmer who was thinking that Christianity was dumb and a waste of time. So every Sunday, he would bring his tractor as close to the church as he could to make as much noise as possible to try to disrupt the church service. Okay, all right. <laughs> you want to uh, hit stop and then... It's going? All right. For those who are listening, we just had a power outage, but we're back. Okay, all right. Here we go. So uh, this farmer would come next to the church, run his tractor, and make all this noise just to disrupt because he thought the whole thing at church and God was just foolish, right? So he wrote a letter. When it became harvest time, his crops were better than everyone's in the entire area. So he wrote a letter to the editor of the paper so it would be published in the paper basically saying, hey, Christians, explain that. I don't go to church. My crops are better than yours. And someone responded going, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. Knowing like, you know, maybe, maybe, it, it, maybe, maybe you're looking at this just because your crops are so good that everything is going to work out. But I think in a general way, it, 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 we can consider this, right? If we take God's laws, God's moral, moral order, and if we violate that moral order, it tends to lead to negative consequences, right? Sexual promiscuity, sexually transmitted diseases. If you want to avoid sexually transmitted diseases, monogamous relationship. Now, I know that doesn't 100% lead to marriage, but it's still, it's still a, a, an idea that, that's more in line with God's moral law, right? In other words, the closer you get to moral law, the, 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 the greater negative consequences you can encounter. Right? Doesn't mean that marriage is always going to fix every problem because there's still other issues. But you get the idea, right? Um, the Bible warns about alcohol over and over and over. Well, those who don't drink, well, they don't have the potential of becoming an alcoholic. Right? You cannot become an alcoholic if you don't drink, right? So if you heed God's moral warnings, they are arguing that they're that that God's wrath is revealed because there's a built-in order and those negative consequences is not because God is specifically intervening. He doesn't have to intervene. He built the universe that way, just like gravity, 
right? There's just natural laws that are at work, right? So in the natural order, there is a natural moral order. When we follow that natural moral order, we don't experience the built-in wrath. So they are arguing that God's wrath is revealed in the moral order. You violate the moral order, negative. And sometimes it's mind-boggling when you see people live a life violating the moral law, continue to reap the consequences of it, and, and, but they won't even think about Christianity. It's, it's just shocking. You know, you know hey, I'm going to give up Christianity. I'm done with it. Okay, well, now you're taking anxiety medications, antidepressant medications. You're going to counseling. How is that non-Christian life working out for you? Right? Because there's a moral order. Now, that doesn't mean every person who walks away from Christianity, their life is going to be, you know, the house is going to catch on fire and they're going to die of a horrible disease. I'm not saying that. It just seems there's a general principle. And I think we can say that if we follow the basic moral principles of the Bible, you do avoid a lot of the, I mean, you're, you're not usually, you don't end up in jail. Usually you don't end up, you know, addicted to drugs. You know, usually you don't end up in some of those. Does that make sense? So that, that's, that's an argument of, of another way that God's wrath is revealed. All right? Let's go with another way. What's another way? I mean, y'all have got, not, well, the, y'all got one right. Okay. Thanks to Bobby. Okay. Nobody's given it to others. Anybody got another way? What, what are the ways it's revealed so far? In the scriptures, okay, <laughs> okay, in the scriptures, all right, now I heard you saying it, but I was waiting for like everyone at the same time to say it, okay, right. what's the first way it's revealed? All right, number two, on the cross, number three, the moral, natural moral order, everybody understand that, right, and we could have a long conversation about that, and keep that natural moral order in mind, because some people believe it shows back up later on in Romans chapter 1, and that is why I'm mentioning it now. All right? Number four. What's another way? Well, the kind of, that's, that's in Scripture, but we, we, it goes along with this. You ready? Number four. Direct personal involvement. Direct personal involvement. Well, kind of, okay? Direct personal involvement. Now, we've got to be very careful with direct personal involvement, okay? We've got to be very careful with this one. Now, when we read the Bible, do we read of God's direct personal involvement executing his wrath? Everyone should say yes, okay? Everybody say, give me some examples. The flood. Sodom and Gomorrah. How about more personal, uh, personal situations? Ananias and Sapphira is a great example. A whole lot of people lied a whole lot of different times, but in this particular case, they die. They just it's over, right? You got situations where all kinds of things happen. God doesn't dr- jump in, and then there's other situations where he jumps in. Now, we know God's direct personal involvement when it's recorded in the Bible. What happens is sometimes Christians love to assign direct personal involvement of God's wrath whenever we perceive that someone's life is suffering, and we're like, oh, that, that direct personal involvement. Guess what? That didn't work out so good when Job's friends tried it. 
So we can't try it. Uh, Christians, leaders, all, a hurricane will ha- hit, hit a certain part of the country. Oh, it's because of homosexuals. And it's, it's always homosexuals. Why? Hurricanes only hit for, her, uh, for homosexuals. It doesn't hit for anybody else. I, I love that, right? So, okay, yeah, well, I, uh, a lot, I know, the whole thing makes no sense, right? So, uh, because, yeah, homosexuals only live on places where hurricanes hit. No, what? what? It makes no sense. So, be, don't ever assign direct personal involvement. Don't ever assign it. Okay? Always, though, acknowledge, if you ever want to be concerned about direct personal involvement, be concerned with it in which way? Yours. What would be the one time that you should be concerned about possible direct personal involvement of God's wrath? The Lord's Supper. Is that direct personal involvement? Well, people in the church of Corinth got sick and they died. Yeah, I would say that's direct personal involvement. All right? But the individual has, you can't assign that, right? If if we do the Lord's Supper and Twilight 13 minutes later is laying on the floor throwing up, right? We may consider that's direct personal involvement, but we don't know, so we don't say. Now, she may want to look at it and go, that was kind of weird, okay? I ate the Lord's Supper and then I almost died, okay? Like, all right, maybe you should consider that, but that's not my job and that's not your job, all right? So be very careful with direct personal involvement because uh, people love to use that when they want to, right? When, whenever something bad happens in America, this is the wrath of God coming upon our nation, right? Every time, you know, uh, okay, just slow down, just slow down. Okay, we also we live in a fallen world where bad things happen, correct? Okay, but it, it is part of it, all right? Everybody got that? So, we've got the idea of the word wrath, right? Romans 1.18 is introducing us to some lessons about wrath. The first thing we learn, it is of God. Why is that significant? Reminds us that God is a God of wrath. Number two, Romans 1.18 tells us something else about God's wrath. What does it tell us? It is revealed, right? And to be revealed, we get the Greek word, Apocalypto, right? And you get the basic idea of what it means, correct? All right? And it refers, and we, we, so we asked ourselves, how is it revealed? It's revealed in his word, in the cross, in the natural moral order, and direct personal involvement. Now, I do think it's interesting that verse 18 uses the word revealed, and verse 17 used the word revealed. Okay? Now, it's the same Greek word in verse 17 and in verse 18. All right? Now, what is revealed in 17? Righteousness of God, and it seems to be revealed where? In the gospel, right? But God's wrath is revealed. He's drawing that contrast, right? Here is the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God, but that same God who reveals his righteousness in the gospel is a God who also reveals his wrath giving us a balanced understanding there. I think it's very interesting. All right? Next phrase. Look at Romans 1.18. Let me go back to Romans. For the wrath of God, all right, we get the idea there, is revealed next from heaven. What do you think the significance? The next thing we learn about God's wrath is it is revealed from heaven. Why do you think this is significant? Okay. 
All right. Anybody else? Okay. Any, any other ideas? Well, it's from God. It's already, it's already told us that. It's revealed from heaven. What do you think that could be telling us? Aha! Now we're getting somewhere. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Let's look at a, a, two passages of Scripture. Go to John chapter 14, verse 30. I'm, I'm going to get to what she just said. For those listening online, I'll repeat what she said in a minute. John chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 14. This is an interesting phrase. It's used in another place as well. Uh, Jesus speaking, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Who is the prince of this world that Jesus is referring to? Many people would say that it is Satan. Agreed? Yes? Everybody say amen? Right? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Now, second Corinthians four, four is direct relationship to the gospel, right? Verse three, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the, glor- the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Sometimes this idea of the God of this world is sometimes referred to as... Satan. So some will argue Satan is the prince of this world, prince of the air, the god of this world. Now why is that significant? Because that seems to, to argue by some Christians that Satan have some, has some domination, that he is ruling, right? But for us to be told in Romans 1.18 that God's wrath is revealed and being revealed from heaven seems to argue that no matter what Satan's rule, role is here on this earth, no matter what is happening here on this earth, no matter what anyone wants to come up with this earth, what ultimately rules over it is from heaven. All right? Um, I'll, play, I'll, I'll, I'll state it this way. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Despite Satan's present power as prince of the air and of this world, the earth is ultimately dominated by heaven, the throne of God from which his wrath is constantly and and dynamically manifested in the world of men. No matter what people may want to say, no matter what people may want to do, no matter what happens here on earth, God's wrath is revealed from heaven, demonstrating that heaven ultimately dominates the earth. That idea from heaven demonstrates its supremacy over man. It sounds like uh, Psalm chapter 2, does it not? Here's all the kings of the earth. We're done with God. And God does what? (laughs) You are? Okay. Pour out his wrath. Right? His wrath dominates. No matter what the world may do, no matter what culture may, may do, no matter what you may do. Right? And that, that's a sad thing to try to convince people of, right? It's very sad, especially if it's your own child who decides to reject God. Just like, you can reject God all day. You can set up your own little kingdom, your own little rules, your own little religion. But I'm sorry, 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's already being manifested in your life, and it's, it's going to be manifested in a very fearful way at some point to come. Right? Trying to convince them of that is a difficult thing. Try to convince the world. It doesn't matter what the world wants to do with LGBTQ pride. It doesn't matter what they want to do with anything. They can make, they can make it the year of LGBTQ. They can set up any parameters they want, any morality they want. God laughs. Heaven dominates earth. That's the significance of it being from heaven. Does that make sense? All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. What's the next thing we learn about this wrath? It is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Right? It is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I hope you understand the significance of Romans 1.18. I hope you're seeing the significance of this in, in light of everything. All right? I believe that... What do you think the key phrase is in, in that statement? All. All right? All is a very... Is key to this entire section. Look at... It's mentioned in Romans 1... Uh, it's, it's mentioned in, one, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I mean, go back to Romans. Right? I'm in 2 Corinthians still. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, it's Romans 1.18, all right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, right? Go to Romans 3.9, I believe. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have, we, before we have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they are... Romans 3.9? We have proved before, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. Jew and Gentile. Everyone is under sin. All right? Romans 3.23, you can probably quote it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all. This idea of all being under sin, all being guilty, is a dominant theme here. Why is that so significant? At this point, all is God's wrath is revealed against all of it. All right? Now, we'll have to see if there's any distinction. Now, here's, here's the, the, the test for you right now to figure out. What do you think the test is in Romans 1.18 now? No, we've already talked about how heaven revealed it. Well, if it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, the next logical question that any Bible reader should have is ungodliness and unrighteousness used as synonyms, right? Or is there some reason Paul uses both terms? So guess what we need to figure out? What do you think? We need to look up both words, ungodliness and unrighteousness, right? We got to look up both words. All right. What's the first one you used in Romans 1.18? Ungodliness. All right, ungodliness, all right? Um, and if you want to look it up, you can find it. If you want to look up the, if you want to, I'm not going to go through all the Greek, everything about here, the Greek uh, word here, but I'll give you some basic idea. Um, the, uh, the, it looks like it's used six times in the King James, all right? 
Um, it's used it kind of it's used in the following manner: ungodliness, ungodly. All right, so there's no wide range of meaning here, correct? So what does it mean? It means a want of reverence towards God, impiety, ungodliness. A want of reverence towards God, impiety, and ungodliness. All right, so if God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness, then God's wrath is being revealed against what? All lack of reverence for God. Lack of reverence for God falls under something that his wrath is opposed to. And why would his, why would his wrath be against it? Not opposed to, be against it in a sense. Why? Because God is God. He deserves all praise, all glory. And if you show a lack of reverence to him, you're violating the basic created order the way things are supposed to be. It's dealing with a lack of reverence Does that, and piety. All right? Everybody get that? All right, what's the next word? Unrighteousness, all right? What is unrighteousness? It's used 25 times in the King James, all right? The Greek word behind this. It's translated unrighteousness, iniquity, unjust, and wrong. This seems to refer to injustice of a judge, unrighteousness of heart and life, a deed violating law and justice, an act of unrighteousness. Some could possibly argue, let's see if you agree with this. Um, ungodliness seems to deal with an attitude. Unrighteousness seems to deal with an act. Whatever say that that's fair? Why is that important? Because it's, try, it's giving us a more holistic approach to what God is upset about. He's upset to a heart that just doesn't have right reverence to God. Right? He's upset to action and attitude, which is the basic Christian understanding, right? God is upset with both. His wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, a demonstrating that he is upset with both concepts. All right? Now, stop right here. We're, we're done. We're going to be done. Does uh, 18 end with a period? All right, we'll go to the never-intended version. Let me know. Oh, my goodness, we have absolute agreement. Let's stop right now, and let's sing hallelujah, hallelujah, because, all right, all right, we have agreement, all right. No, because it's great when there's no massive, dis because if there was a period, then we're like, okay. But verse 19 begins with, because. Now, why is that significant? An explanation. Because 18, Paul's just going along talking about the gospel. It's the power of God and God's righteousness is revealed and everything's wonderful and all of a sudden, boom! God's wrath is revealed. You're like, Paul, calm down. What just happened, man? What just happened? All of a sudden it went from, hey guys, I'm writing to you and everything's wonderful, yeah. And then all of a sudden, God's wrath is revealed from heaven. It's all, whoa. It's like, you know, his whole tone changed, right? You're like, what? 
What just happened? Well, now he's going to give us an explanation for the change, right? Why did he change his tone? Well, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, uh, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, well, well, verse 19 has because, but the last part of 18 kind of gets a little bit more here. Who hold the truth and unrighteousness? Who hold the truth and unrighteousness? Next verse. Because. Now, that because is critical because it's, it, it's explaining not only why God's wrath is being revealed, but what else is it explaining? It's explaining how they're holding the truth in unrighteousness, right? Who's holding the truth in unrighteousness? Do what? Right. Well, God's wrath is being revealed against all. So uh, the ungodly and the unrighteous right, are holding the truth in unrighteousness. They're holding the truth in unrighteousness. Because, or suppress, right? Because. Now, the because is going to explain that last phrase, and it's going to explain God's wrath, right? So, here's what we need to do. We're going to have to stop. Oh, man, there's so much I want to do here. This is what you need to figure out. What does it mean? Here's your homework. What does it mean... Hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, Stephen just pointed out that word hold the truth. It's not like the idea of, oh, they're holding the scriptures, right? They're holding the scriptures, but they're doing so in unrighteousness. I heard a sermon on this where someone was going off on homosexuality and talking about liberal churches who hold the truth in unrighteousness and therefore they don't believe homosexuality is this horrible sin. That's, this is the idea of what? Suppressing or pressing down the truth, trying to push it away. It's not the idea that they're holding a Bible, right? It's the idea that they're pushing truth. What truth are they pushing down? Well, if you read the rest of the section, you'll know. I think it's, I think it's not referring to the Bible. It's referring to God's revelation in nature. What's not, what should be naturally understood. Does that, does that make sense? Right. So, but we got to figure out, what does it mean that they're holding the truth in unrighteousness? Because God, and oh man, there's, there's, there's so much here we want to say. But um, I'll read it again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. His wrath is being revealed against ungodly, unrighteous men who hold the truth in unrighteous. If they're unrighteous and they're ungodly, obviously they're going to do what with God's truth? Suppress it or push it aside. And, then, and to make sure, and then he's going to prove the because is going to prove it. So, here's your homework. You ready? Number one, what does it mean that they hold the truth in unrighteousness? What does that mean? I want you to have a firm understanding of what that means that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. All right? Everybody got that? And number two, that because connects it together, what's, what, what, the because is going to justify his accusation, is it not? All right? Explain, figure out what the because is there for. All right? Everybody got that? Figure out the because is there for. Right? Does that give us a, this gives us a pretty, I think it gives us a pretty good start. Will we agree? Right? 
So, what did we learn tonight? We learned something about God's wrath. First thing we learned is that the word wrath there can refer to God's wrath, man's wrath, godly wrath, sinful wrath, right? So don't let any commentary tell you different, all right? Then we learned some things about God's wrath. What things do we learn about God's wrath? Number one, it is of God. That's number one. Number two, it is revealed. And where is it revealed? His word, the cross, moral order, direct personal involvement. Number three, it is from heaven. What is critical about that? The heaven dominates the earth, right? Everybody got that? Number four, it is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Right? Ungodliness seems to refer to attitude. Righteousness seems to refer to action. All right? And we could just put number five if you want. It is revealed against those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. All right? If you want to put number five down. I was trying to build a correlation between the end of 18 and 19, and that's why I didn't get it as a point. But I just wanted to see the correlation. All right? Any questions? All right. The verse 18 sets a general tone. And that general tone seems to be that God is wrathful against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Is homosexuality going to be dealt with? Yes. But he's starting off in a very general way, is he not? Now, when he gets down to homosexuality, all of a sudden does he rip homosexuality and place it over here in a different category? If he does... We have to figure out how we handle the different category and what the implications of that different category is. I understand why they're going to place it in a different category. We're going to, what we're going to do when we get to that, we're going to agree with them. We're going to agree that it's in a different category, and then what are we going to do? We're going to, try to, we're, no, we're going to take it to its logical conclusion and go to any other scripture to either support it or... Disprove it. So we're going to get there. But so far, what are we starting with? God is wrathful and he's upset. And it's being revealed when? God's wrath is not being revealed. It's not waiting till judgment. It's being revealed right now. It's revealed in his word. It's revealed on the cross. It's revealed in the natural moral order. It's revealed. And that and that's what we need to understand and take from this. Because once we see God's wrath... We're going to be want to go back to that gospel, right? If the gospel is the solution to wrath, then anyone under that wrath, the, the solution is the gospel. Does that include homosexuals or are homosexuals in some separate category that the gospel is not even good for them? Some believe that that's the case. We'll have to figure that out. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, a, a, a hopefully an important start to this section. It, it was weird starting right there in verse 18 and not flowing into it. But I pray that this abrupt jump into it at uh, least sets up the foundation so that now the rest will flow together. And I pray that we can um, take this apart and benefit greatly from it. We're going to be focusing on this in, in a number of services. And I pray that anyone who can be here um, will be here and those who cannot will listen so that we can uh, keep everyone on the same page as we work through a, a very timely, relevant, and controversial subject for the world in which we live today. And I pray that we would do our best to look at this from a biblical perspective and not a personal or a political one. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said?
The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.